we are going to be going through Acts, the book of Acts next. And I'm so happy I get to kick off this new sermon series with you guys. So we're going to go through Acts 1. We're going to walk through the book of Acts <clears throat> next month or so. And we are titling this series, Life with the Spirit. So as we just finished Life with Jesus, walk through the Gospels. We're now going to walk through Acts, Life with the Spirit. Acts is Luke's second book. If you think the name Luke is familiar, that's because he wrote one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke. And so this is his second book. It's addressed to the same person, the great Theophilus. Um, I wish I got a hold of Jill and Scott before they had their baby, because Theophilus means dear to God. Could have been a great name <clears throat> for a baby, just saying. Theophilus, dear to God, but powerful too. You never forget when you meet a Theophilus, you know? <laughs> but I digress. Um, so Luke wrote Acts, and Acts is basically the formation of the church. It's broken down into six different missionary movements, and we'll examine them all throughout our time here. But it's the formation of the church. Luke starts off by writing about Jesus as he's still here the 40 days after he reappeared um, or re resided with us after his death. And then it goes into the start of a church, the start of the church and the then coming of the Holy Spirit to dwell inside believers. And it's super cool. And I'm so excited to walk through this with you guys because the book of Acts, one of my favorite books, first off, it's church history. I love church history. I love history in general, but church history specifically, because it's so cool to me to see the theology that's continued, the theology that they had that our churches still have, what their churches did that our churches still do, what their churches did that we don't do, and I don't know why, but stuff like that. And it's super fun to walk through for me, and it's so cool to see the Spirit of God at work, because Acts, we're going to walk through the formation of a church and how the Spirit of God formated every little piece. It's like a big puzzle that the Lord was just orchestrating together. And the same spirit, the same God who did that is at work in our lives today. We'll see miracles happen as we walk through. We'll see things that we can't explain being done by the spirit in Acts. And that same spirit lives with us. Same thing in the gospels. We see Jesus going out and casting demons, healing, all these things. And the same spirit that Jesus did all those miracles with, lives in us. The literal God here with us. It's so cool to talk about. And Luke has a large emphasis in Acts of how it's not a separate book. Acts is not, okay, the gospels are over. Now what's next in the story? It's a continuation of Jesus's ministry. It's a continuation of God's work on earth. How God's work wasn't done when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, but it's still going. God's work wasn't done with the Gospels, but continued in the Acts, and then continued into the letters, and then continues today. We could track the Spirit of God throughout the generations. So, here's my Bible. Um, before we read, I want to start this off a little differently. So I'm going to ask you all to take out your Bibles. Um, second service, most of you have phones, so Bible on your phone works. Or in your pew Bible, page number 830. Page number 830. 
is where you will find Acts 1. And we are going to read the entire chapter. It's only 26 verses, guys, so hopefully you can stick with me. We're going to read the entire chapter, and then we're going to go verse by verse, and we're going to break it down. We're going to talk about it. We're going to look at what the Lord's doing here, now, and here, and now. Ooh, that was good. All right, before we do that, I'm going to pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for giving us breath in our lungs this morning that we could get up and just have another day on your earth. And Lord, we thank you for bringing us here. Lord, we just pray that you open our hearts and our minds to just what you're trying to tell us. God, use this time. Help us to God, lay down our lives, lay down our thoughts, our anxieties, our fears, our stresses, so that we could truly worship you with what we do. God said we could truly seek and find you today. God, hide me behind your cross. I just want to speak your words. We give this time to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Acts 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was still alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. <clears throat> On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this commandment. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? <clears throat> he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witness in Judea, or in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, and suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present with those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer. Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, 
In those days, Peter stood up amongst the believers, a group numbering about 120, said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had been fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it and may another take up his position of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominate two men, Joseph, called Barsabas, also known as Justice, and Matthias, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry, which Judas had left where he belongs, to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to, to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. Acts 1. <clears throat> He starts off the book of Acts. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. In his last book, the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, tells about Jesus' life, ministry, death, right? Like all the synoptic gospels. He's making a point here that if you want to understand Acts, you need to understand the Gospels. There is no separating the two. If you don't understand the Gospels, you won't understand Acts. It's the same thing with the Apostles. If the Apostles didn't understand Jesus' ministry, his life, and his death, they wouldn't understand his Holy Spirit to go and build the church. There's a foundation. The foundation of Acts is on the back of the Gospels. The Gospels act as the foundation for everything that is to come. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are the foundation. Until the day he was taken up into heaven, after giving instruction to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. In rabbinical, or in the culture of the rabbis, rabbi tradition, they would define apostle as someone who represents the one who sent him and acts as in, oh, someone who represents the one who sent him and who acts in manner that is authoritative. So who represents someone in authority. So the apostles representing God act in authority and are obligated to strict obedience to their commission and has to always act in interest of the one who sent him. That is a huge calling if this is how the apostles understood apostleship. Always act in the interest of the one who sent him. 
Who, raise your hand if you could say, I always act in the interest of the one who sent me. Good. We don't have any liars in here. <laughs> My hand would not be up either. It is not up. But to always act, that means every day, in and out, what they were doing was solely in act, solely for the one who sent them. Strict obedience, not just mild, strict obedience. They couldn't do anything apart from what God has sent them to do. That is what the apostles were called to do. And it's so crazy to me that they multiplied. There were more and more and more. And even today, now we see this church, it's so big. This is the call that we have in the church. That's saying less of them. That's saying none of them, actually. When you say, okay, I'm going to act in a strict and obedient manner to my commission, to what you've called me to do, and always in the interest of you instead of me, that's less of me. God, I'm denying myself. None of me, all of you. That's what the call of Jesus is to his disciples. That's what the call is to be an apostle. And they heeded that call. So then we see in three or four, after his sufferings, so when Luke says sufferings here, it's not just sufferings as in his torture. His sufferings refer to the whole gamut of his life being from persecution, being unrightly accused of something to then being tortured to then being killed Luke calls all of that his suffering so his death is included in his suffering so after his suffering he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs he was alive many convincing proofs it's not just like some proof like say someone here died and like a week later, like I saw you. I'd be like, wow, like you're alive. That's crazy. And if I didn't see you for like the rest of my life, I'd be like, huh. Like I thought I saw them, but was I, did I really see them? For 40 days, he was here with them. The disciples were the same. The disciples, I mean, they're not, they're not gullible, as one author put it. They needed proof. It's not like, okay, like, do we really see Jesus? Or do we just want to see Jesus so bad we're seeing Jesus? No, it was for 40 days he came. He ate with them. He spoke with them. He taught with them. Probably slept with them. In the same house, they resided together for 40 days. And it's super cool here because God come back residing. This is the time. So Jesus' mission and purpose, in my opinion, was to come and die for us. He was the lamb who slain for our sin. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son to die for us, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Right? But he died already. So now he's here, but he already died. He fulfilled his purpose. He fulfilled the, the function of God. So here... It's a different Jesus, the same Jesus. I'm not saying it's a different Jesus, but it's a different purpose. Here, Jesus is now functionally unified with God. Jesus' function is now heavenly again. 
Him and God functionally means, in my definition, united in purpose, power, and plan. And so the whole trinity is technically one. But he is completely united with God missionally now. Jesus' mission, which was to die, was done. He died once and for all, for all sin. He doesn't have to keep dying because we keep sinning. He died and his blood covered us, covered every sin we could ever commit and everyone else could ever commit. So now that he's done that, he is God. He should be seated at the right hand of God right now, but he chose to come down and stay with us, stay with the disciples here for 40 days to show them proof that the resurrection isn't just a fluke. The resurrection isn't just for Jesus. The resurrection's for everybody. That we all one day will be raised to life again in heaven. Like, come on, that's such a good promise. But then he's also not going to leave us alone. And it's him telling the disciples that, showing them that. And he's bringing forth this new covenant. Joel, Joel 2.32 says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. From Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord said. This is what Jesus is bringing. He's bringing this deliverance. And I misspoke last service. Mount Zion. What happened Mount Zion? Anyone remember? No, I misspoke last service. I said that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said that last service and I misspoke. I'm sorry. Well, don't be cheating either. You're here last service. See, that was just to catch the cheater. That's why I did that. No, the last supper happened on Mount Zion. And then where Jesus reappeared was on Mount Zion. So the promise of the resurrection happened on Mount Zion. And then in Jerusalem, so this is Joel, he's a prophet, way back in the Old Testament, is talking about this future salvation, this salvation that's coming on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. So Mount Zion has already passed. That was, that was in the end of the Gospels, and we're reading it now, when he reappeared to the disciples. And then Jesus tells the disciples to go back to Jerusalem and wait for this promise to be saved. Yeah, here it is. Do not leave Jerusalem. I'm trying to get better with the slides, guys. I'm so sorry. I know the clicking throws some of you off. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised you. Jerusalem. The place that Luke is foreshadowing this whole chapter. The place where the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. So wait in Jerusalem, for John baptized you with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So John baptized with water. That word baptizo in the Greek. Someone immerse. Baptize, immerse. So, it's the same word, right? Baptizo. So, okay, so just like John immersed with water, I'm going to immerse you with the Holy Spirit, right? Like, we're all going to jump in the Holy Spirit. We're going to swim around, right? No. That'd be fun, though. I, mean, I would love that. Swimming in the Holy Spirit? <laughs> no, but it's a, it's a metaphor here. Immerse as a metaphor would be overwhelmed. Be overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, wait until you're fully immersed, fully covered, fully drenched, fully drowned in the Holy Spirit. That's the person we're waiting for. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know the last time. I could confidently say, like, wow, like, I was immersed. Like, I was overwhelmed 
by the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of sad, but being overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit, being immersed, being completely submerged in the Holy Spirit is what Jesus is telling his disciples to wait for. That promise that eventually does come in the form of what? Lisa! <laughs> the Holy Spirit's initially evidenced in Acts by speaking in tongues. Yes. By speaking in tongues. Like this miraculous thing, speaking in, speaking in tongues of other languages happens when they are immersed in the Holy Spirit. Not saying that always happens, but miraculous things happen. We are overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. This promise where we could just be fully filled by the Holy Spirit, which grants us so many opportunities. One time I experienced that holy laughter. That's so funny to me. Some people call it drunkenness by the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit fully comes upon people, fully comes upon you, which God says will happen, would happen, did happen, and can happen again, when we are fully immersed by the Holy Spirit, things happen. We change. There's this feeling. See, and this is what, part of the reason why I love the Holy Spirit so much is it's not, and I love God so much. Like, God's just so cool to me. Amen. God's so cool. Guys, oh my goodness. One more time. Amen, if God's so cool. Amen. Okay, that was a little better. Is that God isn't just an intellectual God. It's not just, okay, like John 3, 16, he, saw, he saved me. Like God saved me, he died for me. I know that and I know that I know that. But there's emotion tied up. There's feeling tied up in it. It's, he's not separate from our emotions, not separate from our feeling, but he created us with emotion, with feeling, so that this promise of being filled by the Holy Spirit, of being overwhelmed, fully taken back by the Holy Spirit, happens, and we feel it, and we get to experience it. And as we lean more and more and more into him, it doesn't mean, I said this last week, it doesn't mean that problems go away. But what it does mean is when you're at your highest high, when you're at your peak, it feels so much higher. And when you're at your lowest low and you think you can't keep going, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can have joy. It's possible. By the power of the Holy Spirit, our attitudes can change. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can go from a place of being so dry, so stale, so dead, like one of the songs said, a heart of stone, to being fully alive. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. But in verse 6, they gathered around Jesus then. They asked, Lord, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom? And he said... It's not for you to know the times nor the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the disciples were asking and were looking for a restoration of power. That's what all of Israel, looking back, was looking for. 
a restoration of power. Well, what power does that mean? Maybe political, um, status-wise. But they were looking for this tangible power, and they said, when is this coming? When's it coming that we will be on top again? When's it coming that what you promised us, that this king that will lead us to victory will come? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the time. He says, time does not matter which is a huge call for me, especially. I mean, I know for Sammy, poor girl's trying to plan a wedding in like six months. But we have these time frames, right? We have these time frames in our own mind where it's okay, Lord, like when's the time? Because I have my time plan. And like you, you just died, the apostles are saying, you just died, you rose again. So now's the time, right? You're going to restore us. The time is now. He said, the time doesn't matter. But what does matter is that you will receive my Holy Spirit. Time doesn't matter. My spirit matters. And my spirit in you matters. And I promise you, soon, in the book of Acts, but we already have it, that the Holy Spirit will come. Will come and dwell with you and dwell inside of you. God will come to earth, which is crazy enough, but then choose to dwell inside of us, broken people, and love us and enable us to do these things we never thought were possible. The promise of the Holy Spirit to come. And then when you have the Holy Spirit, you will then be commissioned. You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. See, this power that's coming is talked about in Isaiah 32. It's till the Spirit is poured out on us from on high. Isaiah is saying, until it's poured out, when it happens, a desert will become a fertile field. And a fertile field will seem like a forest. That is two opposite sides of the spectrum. Who plants crops in the desert? That's not possible. But yet the Holy Spirit chooses to indwell in us. Taking things from death to life. You know, something that comes to my mind so clearly is like relationships this happens with all the time. So often relationships, like we get burned. Oh, we get burned by this person, that person, or we burn somebody else. We're like, oh, that bridge is gone. And we keep moving farther and farther apart until it feels like, yeah, I'm never going to talk to him again. Nah, this desert between us, that's it. But then when we stop holding on, and it'll, it probably has to go both ways, but I'm talking about us right now. When we stop holding on, to our own convictions, and we stop holding on to our own grudges, our own bad attitude, and we give it to God, we start to release it, saying, God, I want more of you and less of me. Saying, God, that prayer is so powerful. God, I want more of you and less of me. That's when our deserts become fertile fields. That's when our life goes from being nothing or being so bad or even being okay to being amazing because it's not your life anymore. It's not my life anymore. God, I don't want to be David anymore. God, I just want to do your will. God, take my thoughts, my equations, my emotions out of it. I want you. 
And then about the witnesses, Isaiah also prophesies in 43, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, and there will be none, none after me. No one. There will, there will be none. Nor, yeah. But this point of you'll be my witnesses, you will be my witnesses. It's a promise from the Lord. And it's so cool. So Jesus is saying to them, go to Jerusalem, right? Go to Jerusalem, wait for my Holy Spirit, and then you'll be my witnesses to Judea, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. God said it in Isaiah. Isaiah, you will be my witness. Then what does the Holy Spirit do when he comes? He enables us to be witnesses, right? Then it doesn't fall on our shoulders, but the Lord empowers us to do it. We have to carry his burden, his yoke, which is so light. We are empowered to be witnesses. Next is 9, 9 through 11. After he said this, so after Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky and he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. The ascension is central to the book of Acts. So the ascension, so this is Jesus came back, right? After his death, so he showed them he was alive, right? And then he didn't just be like, poof, go away. But they saw a living Jesus, a living body, a living physical body ascend into heaven. They saw a living Christ ascend into heaven where he's still alive, an everlasting God. So they saw him. One author put it this way, the ascension is the moment of of spatial realignment in and through acts as a narrative whole. And it cannot be understood without the ongoing reference to the heavenly Christ. This entire book is, you will be my witness. What did you witness? You saw me. We saw Jesus. That's what the disciples are thinking. We saw Jesus go into heaven. We watched him. How much more motivator is that than I saw someone go into heaven? Now I'm going to go tell people about it. They saw him go into heaven. And then what was their response? Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem to the house they were staying at. Um, about Sabbath, they walked. When they arrived and they went upstairs to the room they were staying, those present were all those people. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with women and Mary, the mother of James, and with his brothers. What's the first thing they did? What's the first thing they did after Jesus left? They prayed. They prayed. When was the last time the first thing you did was pray? For me? A long time ago. 
right? I try to do everything else in my own power before I pray. I was like, okay, God, I'm out of options now. But here they have a situation and they pray first. It wasn't, okay, he said, wait, what are we waiting for? Let's go look around. Let's go look around all of Jerusalem and see what God told us to wait for. No, it's we're going to stay and we're going to wait on the Lord. I love this quote. Some author put it this way. Before followers of Jesus do anything else, they call on God. Whether it was with praise or petition, thanksgiving or intercession, as they utterly depend on God, whose sovereignty they trust. Utterly depend on God. It wasn't just a, okay, God, like, we need help. Utterly depend. With everything they had, with all the trust they had, they put it into the sovereignty of God. Saying everything we have, Lord, we utterly depend on you. What are you trying to show us? What should we do? They prayed. I can just imagine the prayers said in that room. Some powerful prayers. They prayed. Whether praise or petition, whether request or glorifying God, whether thanksgiving or intercession— no matter what it was, they prayed together. Constantly in prayer. Constantly. I, I, when, when I see the word constantly, I picture some of my friends, they did, um, they did a week of prayer. And there was somebody in this room, so we had a designated room. And there was somebody in that room 24-7 for a week praying. At least one prayer. Constantly prayed. Constantly seeking after God. And I'm not saying that that's easy to do. I'm not saying that's something we all should do. But what we get from seeking God is miraculous. We have to constantly, we utterly depend on God. Because that's what the foundation of the church was built on. Built on prayer utterly depending on God. I guarantee you for the next 300 years, if people are getting martyred, it's an utter dependence on God. And yet we so easily make it, especially just here in America, I'm the same way. Eh, God's there when I need him, right? Eh, like, okay, Sunday's coming, gotta get to church. Okay, pray before meals, pray before I go to bed. Like, that's good. Not saying don't do that. But does that show, does that really make us believe in our hearts we utterly depend on God? Do we utterly depend on him? You know, uh, this is my dog. Uh, His name is Moose. Yeah. Poor little guy. He's a little sick right now, but that's fine. Um, so this is Moose. And so whenever I feed Moose, um, I, I put the food in his bowl, and he has to wait. He has to sit. Just like, That's actually two days ago when I put his dinner in his bowl. He sits just like that, and he waits. And so whenever I walk, he'll come behind me, in front of me, and sit. He's like, I'm sitting. Can I get my food? But he won't touch his food until I tell him to go. And I trained him that way because... 
I adopted him. He just ate everything. So I trained him. At least he doesn't just devour his food. He devours my food still, but that's fine. But so I did this two days ago when I took this picture. And Sammy said to me, hey, why do you do that? Why do you make him wait for his food? I said, because I want him to know listening to me is better than him getting his food. I want him to know it's better he listens to me than for him to just go get his food whenever he wants. And Sammy said, wow, what well, if we just looked at God that way? What if we just looked at God that's better we listen to God than do whatever we want to do? Anything we want to do is better we listen to God first. That's just such a powerful call that the disciples are walking in here. That we are called to imitate. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Uh, this is the first time acting as the rock that Jesus um, told him he would be. He stood up among the believers. said, brothers and sisters, the scriptures have been fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who warranted arrest. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Which makes me think that they are still processing that. That someone who shared their call, shared their mission, shared their ministry, who was one of them, one of their family, left, rejected Christ. Um, he bought a field, which he then hung in. Um, and it was prophesied about, may this place be deserted. So the place he bought ended up becoming a, um, what's the, a graveyard. A graveyard for travelers. So people who knew no homes. No one dwelled in it. Literally people didn't have homes were the ones who were laid to rest there. And may another take his place in leadership. That's what we're going to focus on. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of the resurrection. So there were three qualifications for the next disciple. So they're picking their 12th disciple. That's where prayer led them, was that they need to round out their numbers again now that they're down to 11. So there are three qualifications. One, it had to be a man, as we read. Two, must be a disciple of Jesus from the beginning. So we're there when he was baptized and everything. And three, must attest to the resurrection. Must have seen the resurrection. You see, seeing the resurrection was what I think, I mean, I don't know, but probably the most important value in calling a disciple. Because to witness the, because if someone didn't witness the resurrection, how are you going to go witness to the world about the resurrection? But you had to witness the resurrection. You had to have an encounter with the true and living God to then go and tell the world about it. Tell the world 
that God's not dead, that Jesus isn't dead, but he's alive and he rose from the dead. So now it's your mission to go out. And then in 23, we see two men named Joseph or Barsabas or Justice and Matthias. Two men named. My question is, by everyone else outside of their circle, how crazy must they have looked? How crazy must they have looked to let themselves be nominated to follow in the footsteps of someone who just died publicly and also knowing there's no plan. He said, go be witnesses. There's no plan. I know there's some people in this world who, if I said, hey, I have no plan. Could you do this for me? No. You, people need a plan. People need an outline. And for me, at least, if you asked me to do something for you, I'd say, okay, what? And you said, well, you got to go do this, but I don't know how you're going to do it. And you might die doing it. I'll be like, I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> I just don't know if that's for me. But they took the mantle up anyway. To take over the apostolic ministry. Apostolic can translate to sending ministry to mission here. Apostolic, the apostles, they all had the same sending. They were there present with Christ who said to them, go be my witness to Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Go be my witness, Jesus said. And so they're shared in that sending and in the mission of they're doing it with Christ. They don't know how they're doing it yet, but they're doing it with Christ. A shared mission and sending among these people. And so they cast lots, and after they cast lots, they get back to Matthias. And Matthias is the one who is chosen to take up the spot of the twelve. And it's so interesting to me how they function, how they made this work. So the time period where, I mean, probably not in reality, but at least in functionality, they were cut off from God, right? Jesus was the human form of God. He's not there anymore. They don't have the Holy Spirit yet, who's God dwelling in and with us. And God the Father is still in heaven. So they're seeking all these answers through prayer. They're seeking what is to come through prayer. And then, that's my Jesus. Oh, that's the last slide I have up. So they added him to the 11 apostles. So you add them to 11 apostles, which then, next chapter, which we'll talk about next week, which then they go and they actually start to form the church. They go and they receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they start to minister to people. But the power of the Holy they don't start to minister outside of their group yet. All of Acts 1, the Lord tells them, hey, go, go be my witnesses. And what they do, they pray, and they said, you said, wait until your spirit comes upon us, and then we go. So we're going to wait. And they wait, and they wait. And they wait on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. Such a powerful thing. Through prayer and petition. 
to find the promise of the Holy Spirit. All right, let's pray. Worship team, come on up. Dear Lord, God, we thank you for the faithful witness and testimony of your early church. Lord, we thank you for those who were obedient to you. God, help us walk in that obedience. Lord, help us walk in that prayerful attitude. God, that less of us, more of you is always better. And Lord, that your promise of a Holy Spirit, God, which was a promise to them now, to them, is now a reality. Lord, as a reality for us, help us live like it's a reality. Help us to live open to what you're trying to do, God. Help us to live our lives with our hands wide open. God, because it's your life and not ours. God, help us take our hands off of it. Because God, you are the one with all the power, all the glory, all the majesty. And the only one deserving of our lives. So God, we surrender them to you now. And we pray that as we leave this place, that we go anew, that we go refreshed, and that we go seeking you, loving you, desiring you more than ever. Because God, that's what you want from us. And God, you love us so much. Help us to love you, which is a fraction of that love. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.